Well, we've had the reminder from our monthly memory verse that Jesus said to the very first disciples, he said, follow me. And he gave them a promise that he would make them something new. He would make them ambassadors in his kingdom. People who would lead others to him, to follow him. And we've sung songs about this as well. He leadeth me, his faithful follower I will be. Have your way, Lord. Have your own way. The world gets busy and is full of all kinds of voices of people uh, telling us what to do. who we should be. And in the middle of all these opinions and voices, it's good to reflect on who we follow. Who do we follow? Not just Sunday and what we sing in church, but who do we live for? Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday, Saturday too. Who do you listen to? Where do you go for comfort, for truth, for hope? Well, we began Mark's gospel last week. And we were introduced to Jesus. And we're introduced to Jesus as the Messiah. That he is the anointed Savior. He's a deliverer. And he's the promised ruler, the promised king of his people. The Bible's answer for who should we follow, who should we look to is Jesus Christ. And we saw last week the the witness of John and the witness of the father. And even of Jesus testing in the wilderness. And how he stood the test. How he was victorious over his enemy. He was victorious over the devil. And so Jesus has the divine authority to say. He is the Messiah, Mark has said. That's a pretty bold claim. And Mark doesn't leave us here with this bold declaration of Jesus is the Messiah. But what he declares about Jesus, he demonstrates as we look at the life of Jesus. And so as we continue, we're going to see the life of Jesus and in Jesus' life, in his teaching, in the the miracles that he did, In the the people that he called to himself, his disciples, we see that Jesus is the one who is able and willing to save. And that he is the Lord that we should follow. Mark begins in in verse 14 of chapter 1. And he, he jumps into the action. 
And he, he picks the time when Jesus returns to Galilee and travels throughout the countryside announcing good news. And in, in a way, when we think about Jesus' ministry, it's, it's like the, the video footage under the headline. The headline is Jesus is Messiah. And now here's his life. Here's what he did. Here's what he said. And we're going to look at that this morning and see that not only is Jesus willing and able to save us, but he also gives an invitation. Come follow me as Savior and Lord. We're going to look at that this morning. And our story begins in Mark chapter 1, verse 14. So I'd invite you to turn in your Bibles there. And we'll read Mark 1, beginning in verse 14, and we'll also read verse 15. Mark chapter 1, verse 14 reads, Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. So Jesus' ministry begins. After he has been tested in the wilderness, Jesus goes public in the land of Galilee, the land he came from. And he travels throughout the countryside. He came with the authority of God. He was sent by God, victorious over Satan. And he came with something to say. He had an announcement, a proclamation. What John had said is coming. Jesus says it's now here. And we see a shift here, even in the fact that it says that John was arrested. He was arrested for being a righteous man, for telling Herod that some of the things the king was doing were wrong. And now Jesus steps in and he is saying that that the true king is here. He comes and he says the kingdom of God is at hand. The time is fulfilled. The long awaited time for God to intervene and to deliver his people from evil from injustice, time when he would begin to renew creation itself. We see that in the miracles that he begins to do. We see that in our own lives today as he makes his followers a new creation and begins that work in our hearts, in our lives. The time has come. Many prophets had come before and given promises that God was coming. But Jesus isn't giving a promise here. 
He's not saying, one day later on, God's going to deliver you. No, he comes and he delivers on God's promises. He's the fulfillment of the promises of God. That's what he's saying when he says, the kingdom of God is at hand. The time is fulfilled. Jesus' proclamation or his announcement in verse 14 is the gospel of God. In other words, this is God's royal announcement. This is God's good news about himself and about his kingdom, that his kingdom, his rule is here in Jesus Christ. And God's good news includes you and I. When we receive the good news that Jesus is Lord and we welcome him, we repent and believe as this passage tells us, that is, we turn from our sins and we believe in Jesus that he is the Lord and Savior, the one who can deliver us, the one who can lead us rightly in the path of righteousness. When you think about why Jesus came, He came to deliver people from the kingdom of darkness, from bondage to sin, and from the rule of the prince of the power of the air, the devil and his angels, and to make them a part of his kingdom, to bring them under his rule. That means to bring them under his protection and his care and his Guidance. And through this proclamation, this preaching of the good news, Jesus offers us a place in that eternal kingdom. If we would repent and believe that he is the promised Savior. Now one day, we are given the hope that God's rule will be established here on earth. But until then, the invitation remains. And until then, God's reign is here in the hearts of his people, his followers. And so even in a world that is messed up, we have a great hope because we have a king and a savior and we can live for him we can stand for him in this world today confident in that that Jesus the king came and that he has authority as God well he preached this good news that he had come that he, he was here to save and to lead his people. 
but he also calls some. And Mark, picking up the story in verse 16, says that Jesus was passing along the Sea of Galilee, and he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going just a little bit farther, Jesus saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat mending the nets. And immediately he called them. And they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. It's an amazing scene, but it begins rather ordinary. This is just life, the life of a fisherman, mending and casting nets, working with their father and the hired servants to make a living. People walking along the shore of the lake. It was an ordinary day except for one thing, that Jesus was there and he was working in the hearts of of people that day. When Jesus passes by Simon and Andrew and then just a little later on, John and James, he calls them to come. He says, follow me. And with those simple words, the four men left to follow Jesus. In one sense, their call is unique. After all, we can't repeat it, not in the way that they did. We're not in their place to walk alongside Jesus for those three years that he was on this earth to hear the words he said and to speak with him. But is it not so that the call is the same today? That we can today follow Jesus. We have his word given to us. And we can talk with him. We can learn of him and listen to his voice. When Jesus spoke with the crowds, all of these people who were seeking Jesus for all kinds of reasons. Maybe they wanted healing. Later on, when he fed the, the 5,000, many of them wanted bread. Some of them were listening to what he had to say. Some of them wanted to follow him. And this is what he said to them in Mark chapter 8, verse 34. He said, if anyone would come After me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Jesus is saying here, if you want to enter my kingdom, if you want to come under my leadership and my rule, which is good, which is perfect, which will lead you in the path of life, then you need to stop serving yourself. You need to abandon all other masters and be willing to suffer 
as the imagery of taking up your cross teaches us. So it's quite a, a terrifying thing if we're, we're thinking about following Jesus. In one sense, it's terrifying. It means that we must lay down our lives. It means that we must submit to Jesus' authority to say that his way is the best way. And we're not going to fight against it like the oxen that kicks and doesn't want to follow the lead of the, the plowman. When it comes to following Jesus, there's no negotiating and saying, well, if, uh, if I get this, these benefits, then we'll follow you. Jesus lays it out there. He tells us his ways. He tells us who he is and his ways are good. But it's hard for people to see that. It's hard for us to see that. We don't get to choose where God will take us in life. I heard once that signing on with Jesus is a lot like signing a blank contract. He's going to fill in the rest. You just sign your name and say, I'll, I'll go. I'll do it. My life is yours. But you know what? That can sound sobering, and uh, I do want us to understand there's a cost. Jesus talked about counting the cost. But the disciples are our example here. And when we come back to their example, we see a, an example of joyful, loving service. They, they left. They went. And you know what? They didn't follow Jesus because the pay was better. They followed Jesus because they wanted to know him. Because they wanted to be under his, his rule. Or they didn't know what was ahead. Maybe if they did, they wouldn't have joined. I don't know. But they left everything. John and James left a father and a family business. Peter left a home and, and a wife. Matthew, the tax collector, will leave a, a business, a lucrative business for Jesus. It seems crazy. Why would they do that? Shouldn't they have like taken care of business and just made sure like their accounts were in order? We don't know. We're not told any of that stuff. I think wisdom is good when you're planning to follow Jesus, to go somewhere, to do something, to plan things, to prepare. Put your affairs in order is not a bad thing. But the focus isn't on that. When we read this simple account, come follow me. And immediately they left. What we're drawn to is the power of the Lord Jesus Christ to change the heart, to rescue people from the depths 
of their sin and to strengthen ordinary men and women to advance his kingdom. Jesus takes the initiative to come to them and call to them and bring them to himself. Later, Jesus will say to the Father, as he prays to the Father, not one of those whom you gave to me have gone astray. Jesus kept them through all of those years of ministry and the temptations and the troubles that they faced. Because he called them. Because he pursued them with his grace and his love and he drew them to himself when Jesus speaks it happens we see that with uh, natural things like the wind and the waves and we see that as he heals people and does miracles but first and foremost we see that as he works in the hearts of men as he calls his disciples and enables them to follow him and they trust him. Do you know the power of Jesus? It's when you know him and his power to save that you will be a person who is all in, who will leave. Whatever God calls you to leave, I'm not saying God calls everybody to leave their family business. We are all called to lay aside other masters for him. And it's worth it because he is able to save. Because he can take us off of the path of sin and destruction and set us on a path that we don't deserve. To move toward us and care for us in grace each step of the way. And he does this so that we would know that he is a gracious, good king. And that he reigns. Jesus is going to go on to demonstrate his authority in other things. He demonstrates his authority in his teaching. In commanding demons. In healing. And each of these little snippets in, in chapter 1 that we get of the ministry that he had. Demonstrates for. His power and authority to save. I just want to read a couple of examples. Mark chapter 1 verses 27 and 28 says, And they were all amazed, so that they questioned among themselves. The people were saying, What is this? A new teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits. And they obey him. 
At once, his fame spread all throughout the region of Galilee. And so the the people heard and they gathered. And in verse 33, we pick up the story and it says that evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick and oppressed by demons. The whole city was gathered together at the door. One house, they were all here. You picture a whole city coming to one place. They were flocking to Jesus. And it says he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. You see the power and authority of Jesus there. This is the power and authority of God who is able to save us, who's able to redeem us and who loves us so much that he would come and he would restore the rule of God in creation. Beginning in the lives of his disciples. These scriptures reveal to us a savior who cares. And a savior who's able to save. Now, it's a sad feature of Jesus' ministry that it wasn't successful in terms of faithful followers. He had a megachurch, if you will, but they were there for other things. I mean, sure, they wanted his help. People that genuinely were sick oppressed by demonic powers. They came to him and Jesus compassionately cared for them. But it's a precious few that we see then follow Jesus in turn. That respond to his rule and listen to his voice. We catch a bit of a glimpse of this at the very end of Mark's Gospel, chapter 1. Mark uh, 1 40 to 45, when a leper came to Jesus and he said to Jesus, if you're willing, you can make me clean. That's good. He sounds hopeful. He sounds like he has a faith in God. If you're willing, you can make me clean. You know what's wonderful about this passage? It's what Jesus says. It's Jesus' heart. He says, I am willing. And then he does. He cleanses him. He says, be clean. Jesus is willing and able to save this man. This man who was an outcast, who could not be near people because of his leprous disease, his skin disease, they were that, that spread. And uh, yet Jesus was willing and able to save this man. He was moved with compassion. Is this the Jesus that you believe in? You realize not only is Jesus Lord of all, but that he longs to save all men. But there is a tragedy, I think, in this passage. And it is that when Jesus tells the leper to do something, the leper does not follow through with that. Jesus said that he should keep this miracle to himself. 
And it's worded not as a request, but as a, as a command. There are many times that Jesus will do this throughout his ministry. He told different people that they should keep quiet about it. He was not ready. It was not yet time for who he was to be revealed to all. And so there were times when he said, no, just hold off for a minute. He told the demons, shut up, be quiet, so that it would not be the demon's testimony about him, but his own life and his own words that would testify about him. But the leper doesn't listen to Jesus here. He goes and he tells everyone, and it becomes so crowded that Jesus ends up withdrawing to the wilderness. Well, we could say that it's pretty understandable. He told people he was excited. He was healed. Usually we think to ourselves, well, if Jesus saves me, if he heals me, I want to tell people. And that's a natural, it's a good thing. But here Jesus said, don't. For a specific time and a specific reason. And if Jesus tells us to do something, we're not willing to do it. We're not willing to follow him. Now we could focus on this man and say, well, why didn't you obey Jesus? I mean, it was a simple little thing. Just keep your mouth shut until Jesus said you could tell people but how many times have we been like that man? How many times have you come to Jesus for some forgiveness for some sin or help with a, a problem in your life? I see this. Many people come to Jesus or come to church and they have, have a, a problem or something. They want help. And we're happy to help. Jesus was happy to help. He's willing. He's compassionate. He's able to help. But at the end of the day, we can be helped by Jesus and leave and go our own way. At the end of the day, we could be happy with a little Jesus, a little bit of help, and not give ourselves to him completely. And that's a, a warning for us, a reminder for us to really ask ourselves, have I given my all to the Lord Jesus Christ? And if you haven't, what hinders you from following Jesus? What is holding you back from surrendering everything to him in perhaps a, a trouble that you face? Perhaps it is not a sin, but a, a suffering that you are experiencing and you are having trouble with it. You can go to the Lord can talk to him and he will help you he wants all of you and he's willing and able to help you in any and every situation there's going to be a cost to following Jesus a laying down of ourselves and our desires. There will be hard choices. 
between things that we love and Jesus. There will be hard times. But I want you to remember that He is able and willing to save. Can you, can you say that? Is that something that is a part of your thinking about Jesus? That not only is He powerful enough to save, but He loves you enough to save you, to draw you to Himself in all your weakness, in all your struggles, in all of your sins. And you can come to Him. That's the call of the Gospel. It's the same today. Jesus reigns. And He is willing and able to save you. He has shown us this. He has made a way by His own body and blood for you to submit your life in service to Him. And He is so gracious that He would not only make a way, but draw us to Himself and save us by His grace. Jesus is willing and able. And He's calling you and I to follow Him wherever He leads.